the president's supporters like the fact that he's shaking things up on issues that have stymied presidents in both parties for decades. And it's certainly understandable that a president whose own election victory confounded the so-called experts might harbor doubts about the expertise of others on any subject and have greater than average faith in his own. But all that said, the results have yet to vindicate his confidence that he alone can fix things on health care or border policy. And that's what seems to be behind these snap decisions. The president's belief that he alone can fix the problem. I have to think that Bob Mueller wrote his report knowing, because he could hear it all around him, that the public was going to demand to see it. Barb, I mean, he's freestyling on his own. He is not following the rules. He's not following traditions. In conclusion, it is my hope that this report will be made public with a few redactions. Hello, redactions. Hello, and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So we still don't have a Mueller report, but Godot is coming anytime soon. He said to wait here. Let's go. We can't. Why not? We're waiting for Godot. We have a bar letter and another bar letter. One of the letters gave Trump some no collusion talking points, and he exploded, said he'd been exonerated. And then the next one, also from A.G. Bill Barr, said, oh, sorry, oh, my God, I'm so, so sorry, please don't. Which is why, while we wait, and if you're still thinking about Trump's Russia ties, I highly recommend ignoring Barr's letters and listening instead to Adam Schiff's speech. This is the one before the House Intelligence Committee trying to get rid of him because they believe he overstated the case for conspiracy. So Schiff gave a speech that said, I'm not overstating anything. This is what we know happened. These are the things Trump even knows he and his crowd did. And nothing he laid out for the House Intelligence Committee, of which he is chair, is in dispute. Not in dispute by the Republicans, not by Hannity, not by the myriad people who send shift death threats or the lefties who think he's a nut. No one. So here's what happened according to actual reality in the Trump-Russia story. You don't even need a Mueller report. Here's what happened in the words of Adam Schiff. The Russians offered dirt on a Democratic candidate for president as part of what was described as the Russian government's effort to help the Trump campaign. When that was offered to the son of the president, who had a pivotal role in the campaign, the president's son did not call the FBI. Instead, he said he'd love the help of the Russians. Paul Manafort, the campaign chair, someone with great experience running campaigns, also took that meeting. The president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, also took that meeting. They concealed it from the public. Their only disappointment after that meeting was that the dirt they received on Hillary Clinton wasn't better. When it was discovered a year later, they lied about the meeting. The campaign chairman of a presidential campaign, once again, Paul Manafort, offered information about that campaign to Russian, a Russian oligarch in exchange for money or debt forgiveness. Then Manafort offered polling data, campaign polling data, to someone linked to Russian intelligence. The president himself called on Russia to hack his opponent's emails, and later that day, the Russians did. The president's son-in-law sought to establish a secret back channel. Did you forget that one? Back channel of communications with the Russians through a Russian diplomatic facility. An associate of the president—I'm getting tired— 
I need Schiff's passion. An associate of the president made direct contact with the GRU through Guccifer 2.0 and WikiLeaks. A senior campaign official was instructed to reach that associate and find out what the hostile intelligence agency had to say. The National Security Advisor designate, that's Mike Flynn, secretly conferred with the Russian ambassador about undermining U.S. sanctions. Then he lied about it to the FBI. We know all this. And during the presidential campaign, Trump sought the Kremlin's help to consummate a real estate deal in Moscow that would make him a fortune. He advocated a new and more favorable policy, remember this, toward the Russians, even as he was seeking their help to make money. So that's it. No one needs to persuade anyone anymore. You and your most right-wing uncles agree on this. These are just the facts. This is the timeline. 19 points. We have absolute consensus about what happened. We have receipts, testimony, court documents, indictments, convictions. And as I say, in many of these cases, the Trumps have admitted it. So this is what happened, unadorned. I'm not talking about the mysterious stuff, the side stuff to do with Eric Prince or sealed indictments. This is just a timeline. So now the question, and I'm thinking of this as the shift test, is not what do you think happened? It's not is Mueller a galaxy mind? It's not is the FBI sold out or is Barr a hack? Or are you a Republican, a Russophobe, a Russophile, a red hat, or a sore loser from the Hillary Clinton days? The Schiff test is just this. Think over what Trump and his circle did. Do you think what they did is okay? Here to discuss this and much else besides is Rick Wilson. He's the Republican operative par excellence and author of the bestseller Everything Trump Touches Dies. He's a never-Trumper. And Molly Jongfast, columnist, novelist, journalist. Also, she's kind of something old-fashioned, like maybe a wit or hostess. She has a memoir in the works that promises to be riveting, and I will be back with Molly and Rick in just a minute. But first, the tweets. Did you believe that the radical left Democrats want to do our new and very important census report without the all-important citizenship question? Report would be meaningless and a waste of the billions, ridiculous, that it costs to put together. Mexico must use its very strong immigration laws to stop the many thousands of people trying to get into the USA. Our detention centers are maxed out and we will take no more illegals. Next step is to close the border. This will also help us with stopping the drug flow from Mexico. Robert Mueller was a hero to the radical left Democrats until he ruled there was no collusion with Russia. So ridiculous to even say. After more than two years since the insurance policy statement was made by a dirty cop, I got the answers I wanted. The truth. The problem is, no matter what the radical left gets, no matter what we give them, it will never be enough. Just watch. They will harass and complain and resist the theme of their movement. So maybe we should just take our victory and say, no, we've got a country to run. Outrageous. It's the Adam Schiff problem. People abusing the access to classified data to then go out in public and make allegations that didn't prove to be true. You look at a decision 
to essentially investigate a political rival who made it. James Friedman, Wall Street Journal. Rick and Molly, finally, welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We are friends entirely because we live in the desolation of Smaug Trump times. <laughs> Rick, how did you come to this story, this crossroads in your life? You know, I, I saw him come down that elevator in 2015, and I knew just enough about Trump from having done a lot of work in New York to think, oh, my God, this thing is going to eat my party alive. And I realized that everything that all these tools that I had helped build over the years were suddenly in the hands of a fucking crazy person and that he was not a conservative and not a Republican and not particularly anything but a statist and a nationalist and an authoritarian. And to me, as a guy who really believes in the Constitution and the rule of law and keeping the power of government in check against the rights of individuals, he scared the hell out of me from the very beginning. Hmm. And I realized it also was sort of laying bare this hypocrisy that me and a bunch of other people who were very, very skilled at our work for a very long time built mm -hmm. up this apparatus to elect Republicans. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and a few of us, the graybeards of us, you know, we actually believed that stuff, but nobody else did, <laughs> and including a lot of the people we elected. Molly, go through your hometown story because I want to capture the full Nichols and May of having you and Rick together. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up very liberal, communist grandparent, grandfather who went to jail for the House of American Activity, mother who was like a screeching limousine liberal, but not. I mean, I love my mother, don't get me wrong, but not so thoughtful. Mm -hmm. I became more conservative in my, as I was, you know, married to a venture capitalist, very like convinced, you know, that capitalism would rescue. And I'm still like pretty committed to capitalism. But I was horrified by Trumpism. And I thought it was completely, you know, I sort of figured that the government, you know, we elected Obama, things would just sort of keep going that way. And, you know, yeah, we'd have some crazy senators, but for the most part, things would largely work out. And when Trump got elected, I realized that, in fact, there was no plan and Democrats were completely out of our minds and that I had to get involved in my party. Yeah. So that's where I got more involved in politics. I want to ask you about Max Boot, Rick, because it seems like the Republicans who've changed their mind are some of the never Trumpers. Some people have gone and re-registered or like James Comey advocate for Democratic candidates explicitly. Someone like Tom Nichols seems to think that the party's just lost its way, but might be righted. And then there are people like Max Boot who go back under back to the roots and think, oh, this was racist all along. Dang. I said that it was the soft racism of low expectations, but really it was just our weird, violent racism. What about you? Where are you on that? I am right now what I call a Chinese menu Republican. Okay. And I'm going to occasionally pick one from column A and one from column B. <laughs> okay, okay. Because, look, at this point, there is really not a Republican Party per se. This is now completely subsumed, you know, under Trumpism. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and in including the fact that... <laughs> A friend of mine who used to work for one of the national committees told me the other day, he said, they're literally out looking for a candidate for an open seat. And their number one criteria used to be, can the person raise the money? That was always the test. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Then it, then it became, can the person raise the money and can they go out and run an effective campaign? Okay. That's perfectly logical. Mm -hmm. I kid you not. The number one criteria when they're looking for recruits is, have they ever said anything critical of Trump on social media? Oh, my God. 
That's well, their number have a lot one of criteria to ensure that the person has sucked up to Donald Trump effectively, or at least deleted their old tweets if they said anything even mildly critical. Oh my Which, god! You know. That's not a party anymore. That's a personality cult. Yeah. You know, Ted Lieu on this show has said part of the reason that you hear that he has some large percentage of Republican support, and I know this isn't true in every poll, is that people who identify with the Republican Party are just identifying with Trump. You have like a perfect, almost perfect Venn diagram that right. if you say I'm a Republican, then you are saying I like Trump. Right. Well, all the people that in the Republican Party that were the shy Tories were who didn't want to tell pollsters that they were Republicans. Yeah. We used to be able to model that pretty effectively yeah. in, in a lot of states. Like in Florida or Wisconsin or Virginia, I used to be able to look at the polling and the, and these people that said, I'm an independent or I'm non-party affiliated, I could model their voter behavior. And in a big, you know, sweeping averages, about 65% of the time they were going to mm. vote Republican. They just didn't want to say it. Hmm. Okay. Now that flipped starting in 2016 where a lot of Republicans in these suburban areas underperformed a little bit, particularly educated women. Then we moved on to 2018. And I like to joke, like, in 2018, you know, the women divorced the Republican Party. <laughs> and by 2020, they're going to be getting a restraining order. Um, <laughs> because they, there's been a, a, a departure from Republicanism, per se, and is now all about Trump and Trumpism. That's not an ideological or philosophical movement, in my mind, that I can say, I'm going to, you know, go to the mattresses every time, fight for my team, no matter what. Yeah. Oof. So Rick's book is called Everything Trump Touches Dies. Yes. Don Jr. Is he going to die? Trump touched him. Is he going to jail? Yeah. I have a belief that his political aspirations will sputter out. Yeah. And it's not just because, you know, everything Trump touches dies, which I do think holds up really well. Yes, I do. I also think that there is a any spectacle only goes on for so long. Any reality show has a certain arc. And at some point, the spinoff never does what the first reality show or the first show did. And the other factor here is that Don's just not a bright guy. No, he's not. He's just not a bright guy. And, and look, Trump is uneducated and basically, you know, semi-literate. Yeah. But he has a kind of feral cunning about him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think Don Jr. has that. He's the classic spoiled third generation. And we all know how those third generation guys will turn out. It's always a shit show. And I also have the theory that there's no Trumpism without Trump. The things that Donald Trump says and does were partly because he had a 15-year reality TV show. And yeah. everybody has an image burned into their minds of who this guy was. At a staple gun, fake mahogany desk. Yep. Right. <laughs> and they faked it for so long. They believed it. Oh, we had focus groups in 15 and 16. And these people, no matter what you told them, they would be like, no, Mr. Trump's the richest man in America. Oh, <laughs> my Mr. God. Mr. Trump is the best negotiator in history. <laughs> Mr. Trump is worth $57 trillion to bazillion dollars and could buy and sell America. He doesn't need this. He's not corrupt. He's not a grubby scumbag, you know, borrower, borrower of last resort, greater fool theory lender. You know I mean? Not to mention Amazing. the Mr. Trump. Does anyone even call anybody Mr. ever again? Uh, uh, but even even Cohen can't give it up on the stand. Mr. Trump told uh, Mr. me to do. Mr. Trump. Mr. Yeah. Trump. <laughs> but what is that? I mean, he has no title. I mean, he's never had a job. So the, he all he gets is Mr., which, you know, you turn 16 and you're Mr. But he really holds on to it. Do you think he lives ever? Does he ever slip into some horrible place in his brain? One tiny little quarter of some cortex of his brain that says, I'm lying about everything. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't do well in school. I don't have any money. 
I think that's the difference between an ordinary political figure and a sociopath. Right. Yeah. Because listen, I've worked for a lot of political people who will have the dark, the dark night of the soul and yeah. call you on the phone and go, holy shit, they're going to find out I'm not smart. Holy right. shit, they're yeah. going to find out I'm lying or that I never had a plan or that, right. or that, you know, I've cheated on every, you know, wife I've ever had or this or that. I mean, all these things, these guys almost all have moments where they admit it or they recognize it or they'll seek counsel from their advisors yeah. to fix things. I think he, even when he knows, even when he's confronted with a fact, Donald, you fucked the dog. This is going downhill. You, you made a mistake that he's always like, well, if I get more coverage on this, if I blow more things up, then I still win. Right. He always has a path out in his head on all of this, which redounds down to this New York Post page six media culture that he grew up in. Yeah, I do think he thinks that if he gets more media, it doesn't really matter what happens. Right, right. Oh, I agree. Yeah, the like opera pit thing that he can just fall into the opera pit, like Roger Ailes said, and outperform the other tenor because he'll be the one remembered or whatever. Right. Or that no yeah. publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask Molly if she thinks that someone's going to die because of Trump's touch, and that's the Attorney General, Bill Barr. What do you think about the Barr letter versus the mysterious Mueller report, if we ever see it, if we ever see anything? The first Barr letter or the second Barr letter? Oh, good question. What do you think about the first and then the walk back second? I feel like I'm not so smart. I want to know what Rick thinks, what happened between the first letter and the second letter. Just conjecture. Yeah, because that's a political move. So, yeah. Right. Rick, a lot here, here, changed between that first letter and the second. Here's my theory of the case. Barr went into justice with a plan in mind. And that plan was based on what he had previously written, mm -hmm. that a president cannot, under Article 2, be found guilty of obstruction, even if it is for malicious intent. Okay. Even if it is for you know some some nefarious purpose, and Barr, I think he wrote the first half of that report. No matter what, was going to say even if Mueller had said obstruction is obvious and patent and blatant, and we're going to take the guy to court, we're going to give it to Congress or whatever option, Barr would have still said, "Nope, you're wrong." As AG, I declare this to be blah blah blah. This is my theory of the law. Yep. The second part, I think that Barr was doing exactly what he was hired for, which was to give the very large pre-primed Trump media ecosystem a way to say, I'm exonerated, I'm innocent, I told you all along it was a witch hunt. He was giving them that no matter what was going to come out later. Now, a 400-page report, if it's like other government reports, and as a guy who spent a little time in government, yeah, we would give Congress occasionally like a two, 300-page report from the Defense Department yeah. with 80,000 pages of addenda and information. Wow. I suspect what is going on here is that Barr got that report, got briefed on it by Mueller. Mueller probably said, look, uh, they're not going to let me prosecute an obstruction case, so why run these threads out? But I'm going to throw this other stuff out to the other southern district, eastern district, etc., and let it play out as it will. But Barr needed to give Trump something to relieve the pressure, to fulfill his job, uh, his hiring uh, you know, deal, and he did. It was a politically brilliant move on Barr's part. I can't take it away from him. He accomplished a mission for Trump, which was to do two things. One, it was to give the MAGAs a moment where they could finally say, fuck you guys, you were, you know, it, it, it was a witch hunt. Right. Um, but the other thing he was doing was to, to relieve the pressure in Congress and in the media because they recognized that, that if they did this, they could play the refs that they could work the refs hard. And so you saw every single network suddenly covering 
you know, babies in the well for six hours a day mm-hmm. and, and, and memory holding all of this and saying, oh, I guess they were right because yeah. they can't stand the pressure. These people understand how the how most of the media is is short term. They have they have short termitis on everything. They're, they don't like being yelled at. They don't like being said that they're wrong or they're liars or they're mean. And so they back down a lot as these secondary cases start to kick out and as the actual report gets into the hands of Congress, there's media fodder for a generation of investigative reporting mm-hmm. coming along. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't think this gave Trump a permanent get-out-of-jail-free card on this thing. Yeah. What do you think of the more ominous still account of what Barr kind of pulled off? And also what happened between letter one and letter two? Oh, yeah, that's Sorry. right. So letter yeah. two, that to me smells for all the world like lawyers inside justice went to him and said, uh, boss, yeah, uh, this isn't quite as, you know, uh, cut and dried as you want it to seem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have a problem here. And I suspect what happened was he recognized that there were going to be things that were going to come out that he was not going to be able to hide from, from Congress. Mm-hmm. He was well, not going to be able to permanently say, Oh no, you can never see this. And that he recognized that he was going to take a gigantic, Organic reputational hit yeah. uh, in that regard. That's my theory of that case. And I could be completely wrong. That jibes with what I've heard with only one darker thread, which is some people have said, based on leaks, and honestly, I have no idea how good they are, that it's bigger than that. That Barr is the one who insisted on no new indictments and this thing has to end now. Could well be. It absolutely could well be. Garrett Graff has said back to me when I quoted those sources and said, that's not how Mueller is. He's a man of integrity, but he's also probably a man of chain of command. Right. Don't mistake that Bob Mueller is some wild-haired revolutionary who's going to say, my work is so important that I must defy the chain of command. Then that's weird because Barr is the one sort of acting like the wild-eyed revolutionary and doing, by the way, what we've seen Trump try to do over and over again. He tried to do it with the Comey firing letter. Relieve the pressure, as you say. This is really like, what did he say? Lifted a burden. Or what did he say to, to Sergei Kislyak? Lift yeah. yeah. Lift the cloud. Take the cloud. Yeah. What's crazy is the difference here. And can you imagine the media after the Comey letter saying, well, you know, I guess that's that. Comey was bad to Hillary Clinton as the letter from the AG, deputy acting AG or whatever Rod right. Rosenstein says. We are done with this Russia thing. Moving on to babies in the well. And that's what yeah. I feel like we did with the bar letter. Yeah, and and I think the second letter though, this uh, and I talked to a guy who's a pretty smart former federal prosecutor the other day, and he said to me, that letter is a sign that there's that something blew up inside DOJ. Yeah, because that letter was not just a slight walk back; it was a big walk back. That wasn't one of these mild little like you know uh, clarifications. It was, you know, uh, I didn't say that. What? I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what could happen to Barr? And this is why I want maybe even more of Rick on the everything Trump touches dies, because Barr, a lot of us thought, well, this is as good as it's going to get for an AG. Yes, he believes in broad executive powers. Yes, he has this like strange fetish that Mueller's overreached on obstruction or or might overreach on obstruction, but he's friends with Mueller and he's an institutionalist and he's been around before and he's a Bush person and maybe he's a normal guy. I stopped believing the phrase institutionalist a while back. Oh, let's hear that. No, I I just think now that has become sort of a cover word Mm. for they're going to pretend to follow the rules and do what they want. 
Right. But why would he want to genuflect before Trump? Why would anyone of dignity, but especially someone like him who has really everything to lose right now? You know, here's one of the theories that I sort of developed over the last little bit. Why is my old boss Rudy doing what he did? Mm -hmm. Why is that? Last waltz. It's the last waltz. Yeah. That's it. There's, this is the last dance for both these guys. Okay. They're going to do what they are going to do. Um, and I think Barr, in some ways, like reaching this pinnacle again, being AG twice and, and, and having this one final swan song. And Rudy, oh, Rudy needs the money. Right. The divorce, um, and everything else. <laughs> yep. But, but Rudy also wants, wanted one last turn in the spotlight. Right. And wanted one last moment to be like the national political figure. And like a lot of these grifters and opportunists and, and dead enders around, around Trump. Mm-hmm. These guys, he's not attracting, shall we say, Washington's finest Mm-mm. as a rule. Right. right. And so a lot of these people were closed off from more respectable pursuits. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are, are you know, look, look, I know a lot of lobbyists in this world. I know a lot of lobbyists. And none of them are Trumpers. Not one. Mm-hmm. They're playing mm-hmm. the game. They're playing it out. But, you know, there's a certain degree of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to say good things. I would never go in the White House. I'd never go and, and work for the administration. What the fuck are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. And and Barr wanted it. So and I don't know. I don't. Okay. I don't know Barr. I met him one time mm-hmm. in at a Christmas party in in, in Washington in, in during the first like the 41 Bush administration. I, I don't know Bill Barr from Adam. What's weird to me and has been Barr is not one of the first wave. He's not even second wave like John Kelly or Gary Cohn, Rex Tillerson. Like we've seen everybody walk away with the first line of their obituary, probably, or the second paragraph wrecked. It just seems like it never ends well. You just become Harvey Weinstein, you know, massive predator abuser of women who used to produce movies. Right. And Bill Barr may well become a kind of John Mitchell figure here. I mean, am I exaggerating? No, I think because one of the realities we saw of of Trump, particularly with Sessions, and look, Jeff Sessions, for all his, his, you know, weirdness and all his faults, Jeff Sessions was not a stupid man. God, he knew what side his bread was buttered on. And he let Trump start to tell him what to do. He would never be able to stop. Yes. And so when Trump calls Bill Barr on the phone and says, you're not my attorney general tomorrow, unless you issue another letter saying that Hillary Clinton is a secret Russian spy and she smells of borscht and failure. And and I need you to, to issue that letter and say that you're investigating her AOL account from 1995. Bill Barr will have to do that now. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and I think that is a, a position of great danger for anybody in this administration, for anybody, period, to be on the side where you have to give Trump. There's never enough with him. Nobody's loyal enough. You're only as loyal as your last ass kissing. I mean, Certainly we thought true. we thought Rod Rosenstein and H.R. McMaster had, you know, really done yeoman's work for him at the moment of Comey's firing. And now they were kind of in his pocket and he would owe them forever. Right. And instead it was hashtag fire McMaster and a couple months after that. And yeah. then Rod Rosenstein took shit from him forever. You will never, like I said, there is no, he's not loyal. There is no one that he cares about in this administration who isn't an immediate family member. Yeah. And even that, and I, <laughs> I, I, and I promise you, it doesn't matter how much they abase themselves. One day, Sarah Sanders fucks up. Yeah. And is it right on point? Yeah. And, 
and and the next minute there will be tweets emerging out seemingly out of nowhere of right. you know we we barely knew Sarah Sanders yeah. she was an occasional coffee person in the press office yeah exactly and you I know, thought yeah. and I thought she was about a two yeah she right. was doing she was doing a bad job from the beginning yeah I never liked her walleye and it happens with all of them he begged me for a job Rex Tillerson begged me to let him come in the administration and all this yeah you know, sure failure yeah what are people Molly saying on the lefter side of things about Trump Russia like we always hear when the mainstream media so like let's just say at the New York's very prestigious daily broadsheet that will go yeah. unnamed had its banner headline saying basically Trump is pure as the driven snow and let's move on all around the edges there were shots taken in particular at quote resistance twitter or at some voice on twitter that expected to see the president in handcuffs i don't know what did you make of that it was a weird sudden split too I mean, there were some people who, like Glenn Greenwald, who were always just completely convinced that Russia was amazing and that we were all wrong for being concerned. I mean, the failure is that they're still talking about a report that nobody's read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As an exoneration. I mean, that's the failure, right? For us, the Mueller report, if we see it and it's not redacted to hell, if we see it, it'll give us all kinds of color that'll be fascinating to us because all we want to know is Cigar Bar and Kalimnik and Seychelles and Eric Prince. I mean, it'll be fascinating and we'll go back over it and it'll be interesting. And as Rick says, investigative journalists will have a field day and Trumpites will somehow say it exonerates him or they'll just try to make more hay out of the fact that there are no new indictments. Good for right, them. Of course. But I really like Adam Schiff's framing of this thing, which is if you go on, I think it's nine, eight or nine yeah. points and just ask yourself, is it OK? I mean, it could be that you're on the left and you think to yourself, well, you know, Manafort and Tad Devine, as we all know, campaign strategists for Bernie Sanders, work together and Russia's just as bad or U.S. is worse than Russia. And besides, I just heard Jerry Brown say it's great that we're getting together with Russia because that's the way to bring peace. And there's some lefty vision of this that hates America and loves Russia and says, well, you know what? It's fine with me. It's OK, like Adam Schiff says. And then there are people on the right that say that's what it takes to win. Rick Wilson taught me that you do anything it takes to win and make money and, you know, manipulate the media and start culture wars. And so that's what they did. Good for Trump. He's a winner that way. And besides, I like those Russian incel white nationalists who who are kind of cool. And Putin's such a toughie. And I love him. And he's so potent and does Kramaga or whatever. I just feel like we should just be like, we all know what happened. Do you think it's okay? Here's the list of the like bullseye obvious things even Trump says happened. The shift ticks off. It's a good list. He doesn't get into any weird yeah, Seychelles. There's nothing esoteric in the shift. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no Seychelles. There's no like, oh, Peter Smith approached Matt right. Tate to hack whatever. Right, right, it's, right. it's just all the stuff that's been on the front page of everything. Don Jr. thinks it happened. Trump thinks it happened. A lot of the time they told us it happened. It's just the things we know. And the question now is, some people think it's okay on left and right. And some people think sort of center left, center right, people that used to be called Americans don't think that this is right. I think the far left people who are pro-Russia's involvement in our election, however nefarious, tend to be more of the Glenn Greenwald types. Right. I mean, and and Glenn, Glenn, I think Glenn every day, if you put a lump of coal in Glenn's ass, yeah. the day that Julian Assange gets extradited to the United States, a diamond is going to pop out. <laughs> That's I what mean, he's worried about because Glenn has been – Glenn. I suspect Glenn is going to have some some splaining to do at some point. I mean there's – yeah. He's basically like – it sounds like an RT spokesman. 
Yeah, it's and amazing. I also just think, I, I mean, either he's so incredibly, um, like, grumpy and combative that he just disagrees with everything on principle, or, you know, if you go on Tucker Carlson, you may, you know, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. But I mean, he might be also, I think Jonathan Chait or someone just said in, in New York Magazine, I thought this was kind of interesting, that one time he said he didn't think that Greenwald was a Russian agent. And Greenwald was just so overwhelmed with gratitude because he apparently feels very beleaguered and on that score. And I'm, yes, I'm well, not as well. He should. As well, he should. I'm not feeling sorry for him. I just mean, I think he might be in it for the lulls. And not I mean, for the rush for the rubles. Whatever he's in it for, it's bad. Wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot of Glenn's language lately that is strangely like, you know, maybe it's the horseshoe theory of ideology flirting with some of the, the, the very right centric language of, of, of Trumpist nationalism. Yeah. And not just the old sort of leftist cliche. But like I said, maybe it's the horseshoe theory that's coming together here because mm-hmm. Glenn is Glenn is a. He's a strange cat because he built up this large bank of credibility as a whistleblower and right. as a facilitator of that for years and years. But now it's sort of, uh, I don't know, he's, a, he's in a disturbing and weird spot in the in the, the media ecosystem right now. Yeah. Right. And, and I also feel like, you know, Tucker Carlson is really, really, really bad for America. Yeah. And you go on his show, it doesn't matter. Like, you're done. Like, that's it. You're part of the problem. You know, you can't be a leftist and go on Tucker Carlson. Last thing. Are there going to be any more indictments, do you think? Or which one do you want to see the most? <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely confident we will see more indictments out of the Southern District, Eastern District, or EBDA. Oh. Just let's just <laughs> have a Who do you want to see, Virginia? Who do I want to see? Yeah. Jared Kushner, and we have more news about his security clearance is sickening to me. And Jamal Khashoggi was torn into pieces and some of that blood is on his hands. So I'd like to see him. Yeah, I think a perp walk with Jared would be a national delight for years on end. It really it would is. Never, it would never get old. Would I would never. have that shit on a loop playing on a TV somewhere <laughs> in my house. Totally. He does not offend me at all the way Junior does. I mean, he's corrupt, but Junior really offends me way more. He's in that like real rough and tumble media gross spot. And probably dumber, at least, because he doesn't play his cards as close to his chest. Yeah, Um, he seems really dumb. Rick Wilson is a Republican political strategist, media consultant, and author of the great Everything Trump Touches Dies, a New York Times bestseller. Molly Jongfast is a wit of the highest order on Twitter. You've got to follow her, at Molly Jongfast. She is also a novelist, journalist, columnist. Rick and Molly, thanks for being here. Thanks. So that's it for today's show. Say hello to us on Twitter and tell us what you think. We love hearing from you. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And then open up a new tab in your browser and go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Today's the day. Become a Slate Plus member. $35 for the first year. That's shekels and a couple of guineas a day opens up a world of podcast wonder. You get Trumpcast and all of Slate's podcasts ad-free, so go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald J. Trump. Find him on Twitter at JohnnyD23. 
I'm Virginia Heffernan, and thanks for listening to Trumpcast.